Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I am a recently vaccinated man. Um, I got my uh, COVID-19 vaccine, my first jab, yesterday... Feeling the side effects a little bit today, so if I sound, you know, not on my normal game, that's why. But I very much recommend doing it. It was very easy, very painless, in and out, super quick, and um, the side effects aren't really that bad. I'm just a bit kind of fatigued and drained. But um, what better time to have a, a knockout fight with Dan, Godzilla versus Kong, over Southland Tales, a film he no doubt absolutely <laughs> hated. Dan, how did you feel about Southland Tales? Uh, well, Sam, <laughs> <laughs> as you uh, went to great lengths to uh, let everyone know that this was your choice uh, and not mine. Yes. I don't want to disappoint you, but I fucking loved it. What? Oh my God, that makes me so happy. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, that's I, giving me goosebumps. I don't know. I'm not quite sure why I'd avoided it. I think maybe because the the Darko director's cut yeah. had like upset me so much. Oh, it's it's so bad. And um, did you go as far as time, to to listen to the Kevin Smith and Richard Kelly commentary on that? No, 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 I didn't. I mean, it's even worse in a way. Sorry, you know, we we love Kevin Smith obviously, and and I admire Richard Kelly, but it's it's not a good chat because it highlights basically all the things that went wrong with the director's cut and how much he really didn't understand what he had on his hands in the original so yeah but but this is kind of the opposite for me anyway yeah so i watched both edits yeah wow (laughs) fair play uh and and the theatrical release with the commentary yeah (laughs) and then all of the extras i yeah i mean it's it's a hefty serving I will say that, like, the audio commentary, and obviously we'll get onto the extras more later, mm. and they're really good. They are. Um, but, like, I think I preferred it before I had insight into the intent. It actually does a lot of what it sets out to do. It's a pretty successful film. Yeah. But I think I enjoyed it a little more when I thought it was a sort of beautiful chaos okay. creating that, rather than how hard they'd worked to make that. Because it it does have about it that feel of a film where it was just careening out of control mm. and was a sort of beautiful mistake. Yeah, which weirdly is what Donnie Darko was to a certain extent. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Because when he did what he wanted to do to Donnie Darko, yeah. um, I think he, he damaged it. Yeah. But actually, I, this, yeah, Southern Tales is really fucking good. And um, I'm now going to ask you to do what... We always ask you to do, Dan, um, which is to <laughs> sum up the plot. Yeah, I briefly I briefly considered trying to re- pre-write something for this, but yeah. I, I think they tend to go better when I just do it off the top of my head. Southland Tales is about the son-in-law of a Republican presidential candidate who is a film star and war hero being kidnapped, brainwashed and possibly duplicated by a communist activist slash terrorist cell in the run-up to the world's energy crisis being solved after 
a fictionalized nuclear terrorist attack on Texas in an alternate future. Yeah, there you go. Easy. Absolutely easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously the film was a pretty massive bomb, uh, both critically and commercially. And yeah, it, it, for me, and it sounds like for you, it was an admirable bomb. Obviously, it's a, it's a giant Robert Altman-style epic, but yeah. in a science fiction world, which is obviously asking quite a lot of an audience. Um, normally, those kind of multi-character, multi-stranded uh, epics are rooted in in the real world it, to some extent. Or you know, I mean, this has its real world elements, but it's such a bizarre and crazy future that they present, and then they ask you to follow quite a lot. Oh yeah, but I love that. Um, that's the kind of stuff, you know, I, I like it when books make me work hard and this very much feels like it's been adapted from a lost Philip K. Dick novel. Um, he's an influence, yeah. you know, you hear he's an influence on the commentary and anyone who knows their Philip K. Dick will have spotted the reference was Spot in the film. references. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it really, really feels like one of those kind of crazy subversive science fiction novels from you know the 60s and the 70s um wouldn't you say yeah it absolutely and it's you know it, it obviously like it shows that it knows its stuff mm. like if it, it it earns the placement within that it's it's not a it's not a shallow entry into that into that sort of that genre that subgenre i think that it's actually like you know a few slightly ropey practical and digital well digital and practical i should say uh, effects aside um it's actually pretty technically impressive mm. learning that they only ever did one take on anything uh that was like a sort of a technical exercise obviously i'm sure the actors got more than one go at each line but but like every time they had to do anything that would normally be like a big to do and you'd plan for a good four or five takes they only ever had one go for budget um like that kind of stuff warms my heart a little bit like it's nice that that it was so by the seat of their pants but it, it does like it it really is like being handed a mess of thread um and just sort of like smushing it about in your hands and slowly seeing it take the shape of a pattern <laughs> and i do think that that element that you wanted that kind of chaotic element i do think it's there to a certain extent because Obviously, the casting is pretty fucking bizarre. And with some of the actors, you do get a feel like they're maybe a tiny bit lost, almost like they've been told what's going to happen in the scene just before the scene starts shooting. I'm sure that wasn't the case, but um, a lot of them did talk about thinking it was a comedy or being told it was a comedy. And obviously, so many comedians are cast in it, but it's not a comedy really is it i don't know i, th I think it's a comedy yeah. there's definitely gags yeah there's definitely bits in it i mean it, like, it's a comedy the... in the sense that brazil's a comedy but it's ne it never gets as dark as brazil though oh i don't know i mean we're not going to get into the third act precious arrowhead because um you know uh it's the last hour <laughs> yeah it's it's a relatively <laughs> underseen again i know i always say this but you know, it was a massive bomb. So, well, it's not like talking about Robocop, is it? We exactly. Can... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that it does feel really miscast to me. What, what do you think oh, about see, the casting? I, no, again, I really liked the casting. Oh my god, we're going to thought... argue about different things. We're going to argue about who liked it more. <laughs> <laughs> 
um i thought uh one of the things so there was always no, no one was cast in a role that you would necessarily expect them to be cast in yeah but there was always a like a logical anchor for the casting whether it was an actor wanting to go against typecasting yeah. uh in the case of geller mm. whether it was like going okay well they need to be like this kind of person to sell but they also need to be able to do this thing like justin timberlake and and actually i think that they all managed to do the stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to to bring to the table very well and then the thing the reason that they were cast is is fantastic for each of them yeah no i I definitely agree with that and sean william scott in particular i found very impressive um yeah you know it's it's a shame that he he didn't get more serious roles after this like he could have been like a buff jim carrey and i think if if it hadn't been such a bomb he probably would have done more dramatic roles um because he's definitely impressive in this like like i love the mirror scene you know you know me i oh, love that's great. i love a mirror scene in a movie but this one's particularly good and um, yeah just yeah. from that first kind of introduction uh to the character you're kind of with him basically um yeah it's a really great performance yeah, it's really fantastic. I There is one thing, how in depth are you happy for me to talk about that aspect of it? <laughs> so on. there's basically, Sean William Scott plays brothers in the film, both of whom seem to be going through some kind of mental episode. And there's a scene, uh, the scene Sam's referring to is a, is one of the first, if not the first scene with William Scott, where he's staring at himself in a mirror, going through some stuff and having a conversation with someone who's outside of the bathroom that he's locked in. And there's uh, what turns out to be, he says, oh, my, my reflection has a delay, he says later. But... I, by that point in the film, I was already invested enough in just going with it and it being mad that mm. I had almost, uh, I'd sort of convinced myself before that line that his brother was on the other side of a sheet of glass trying to mimic his right. uh, his stuff and that there was, no, in, even in the narrative, there was no right. mirror there and his brother was just in on whatever it was was going on. <laughs> Don't give away all of these ideas for free, Dan. That's something that, you know, someone could do in an upcoming film. That's a great idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have to be another mad film. But in amongst all of the the madness, there is some sanity, some pretty clear-eyed sanity, because um, it's yeah. quite a, a prescient film. Well, I'm prescient. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, it's a film that's made to be watched multiple times, and and Richard Kelly says in the commentary that it's there to be decoded like a conspiracy theory. But there is so much there that's relevant today. Like, the neo-Marxists are are basically Antifa, and there's some get-out graffiti in their headquarters. Did you notice that? Um, I didn't, no. Yeah, so there's get-out written on the wall, and obviously it's got nothing to do with the Jordan Peele movie, but it kind of feels like that as you're watching it now, especially, you know, in a a Black Lives Matter timeline. You know, it feels like a Black Lives Matter movie at times, which, of course, I'm going to love. And in the context of last year's riots, there's some plot points here that are pretty staggering. Well, yeah, especially when you think about the fact that the movie is about someone with this sort of inward-facing Cassandra complex. So... Like, you know, the the movie has within it a script that may or may not be able to tell the future. Yes. And 
then the film itself has sort of foreshadowed loads of stuff. So for the for our listeners, the script was actually written way, way, way before the movie obviously before the movie was made, but like a long time before the movie was made. Uh, and then it was sort of didn't become the movie that you see until after Bush uh, and ni- the second Bush administration started, 9-11 mm. happened, like all that stuff. Uh, and it plays around with a lot of like sort of government overreach, surveillance state, all that kind of stuff. But it predates the Snowden NSA surveillance scandal by like seven years. yeah. But a lot of the stuff it's dealing like you, I had to check the dates on that because I was like, oh well, this must be it must be made like you know the year after the Snowden thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But it's amazing, and it is basically. I mean, yeah, because it's set in the future, it feels like prescience. But obviously, it's a film very much of its time made by someone who was politically aware and and switched on. You know, in the commentary, Kelly talks about the upcoming democratic primaries and, and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's kind of less evidence that he could see the future and more evidence that America hasn't really changed uh, in the past kind of 20 years or so, uh, longer, uh, much longer even. Um, the police cruisers have a Latin phrase on them, Dan. Do you know what the Latin phrase means? No. It means let them hate so long as they fear. Um, oh my god! I, kn- I is... knew a psychopath with that tattooed on his leg once. Oh my god! Uh, right, uh, <laughs> tell me more about that. Forget, forget my uh, factoid. He, he was uh, he was an, a girlfriend of mine's ex boyfriend. Right. <laughs> and I always, yeah, it's like he was he was he was a big guy. He was you know and i think he poured he replaced a lot of personality with with being a bit intimidating right yeah yeah it's a is it's a caesar quote isn't it yeah and and so one of the caesars if people kind of wondering why police take different approaches to to different types of rioters or protesters or or, or you know people at a vigil or whatever i think let them hate so long as they fear pretty much sums it up um yeah yes without getting too deep into that stuff um so yeah it's it's a pretty remarkable film in that respect as well just kind of the the very very fascist undertones you know it's just a little easter egg but it's there if you want to look for it yeah i mean i think you mentioned brazil earlier and while it's not one of the films that i was going to recommend off the back of this i think there are a lot of parallels a lot of good political sci-fi deals with a sort of quasi-fascist future yeah yeah and one of the kind of weirder prophecies in there for me is, and it, this, you know, I might be basically seeing something that's definitely not there, but it is a conspiracy theory movie, so why not? Um, yeah, the scene where they're applying prosthetics in the garden. Oh, yeah. And it literally feels like they're sitting inside social media because they're kind of surrounded by emojis, um, like the yellow smiley face emoji and like there's a, a random hot dog um, kind of lent on the side. But obviously emojis weren't in wide use in the West in 2008. Um, Apple didn't actually introduce them to iOS until 2011. So, yeah, it kind of feels a little bit eerie, um, but it's, I'm sure, just a coincidence. Yeah, like it, it's it's just one of those like good sci-fi recognizes what the next step in stuff is going to be yeah a hundred percent 
Yeah. They're very I mean there's there was no real social media like not not in the way that there is now back then. And no. MySpace was around by then, wasn't they? But yeah. that was kind of it. But but there's a big kind of don't you know how famous we are on the internet vibe about those two characters. Which is why they're having the prosthetics done. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that exactly. they're not recognized by their adoring fans. It's just in the underground. Yeah, and there's like cardboard cutouts of, of celebrities and stuff, which is like photos being reposted. Like I say, I do think that I'm throwing too much meaning onto that garden scene, but you know, it, it, it's fun to to look out for that kind of stuff. Anything about the kind of themes of the movie, Dan? Because that's something that I really did want to get your kind of opinion on. Well, there were some things where I... That like some sort of slightly head-scratchy stuff that wasn't addressed in the extras. Mm. Like, they they acknowledged the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs uh, like visual motif with the, uh, the evil queen character, mm. but they never explained why they chose that. And there were an awful lot of little people cast in the movie. Yeah. Which is a choice i mean it, it but it's but it's a choice that must have a logic behind it and wasn't explained and then also there's a sort of a repeated action of people uh demanding their way because they're threatening to shoot themselves mm. or kill themselves that happens again and again and, and 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 that like if that's in any way uh sort of metaphorical that's not covered either <laughs> no i mean the the snow white thing it's kind of like the fairy tale of America. That's kind of how I read it. That the the stories that people are told are as much a form of control as um, you know the the more overt oppressive tactics that they use in the movie. Because yeah, you, there's a little person policeman, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and and yeah, it's all co- sort of like power games, basically. But yeah, no, it's interesting that they didn't go into that. Um, and yeah, it just it, it the whole thing kind of feels uh, like it's about the war between science and God, both of which kind of yeah. come together in the fairly astonishing third act. Yeah, what did you think of that side of it? Because I know that that's something that you're particularly interested in. Yeah, I mean, I I, I must say I was sort of like watching out for that mm. because of the choices that Stanley made in you know with the voiceover bit of yeah. the of the director's cut of Donnie Darko I had expected it to be uh less sort of across the board and a more kind of like western traditionalist in its religious outlook mm. um but actually it sort of plays around with the idea that there is this like you know potentially there's this greater force that we don't know about and you'd never know this from the film but from the commentary when he talks about and I'll be oblique here, so as not to spoil anything narrative in the movie, mm. but he talks about the, this great winding shape wrapped around the core of the planet as this sort of, like, other. Um, and the idea that there is, a like, a bigger presence at play. Mm. But it's not a traditional... Uh, like, it's not a, a traditional god. It's certainly not a traditional Western god. Um, and I thought that that was very interesting, especially when you factor into it the stuff about uh, all of The Rock's tattoos. Because they've obviously he's got his own real tattoos, but they've massively adorned him. They've added a load of extra stuff. Um, and he's got loads and loads of different... Uh, symbolism from different religions all over his body um and while i haven't read them kelly talks about the the trilogy which was originally going to be six parts uh prequel that he did as graphic novels 
um, and that there is a, a long and and in depth explanation as to the origin of all of those tattoos mm. um, for that character. So obviously, the idea of spirituality and, and faith is is to some extent key, but I I don't think it's a religious movie per se. Well, what's kind of interesting, like just for me, kind of personally, I t- talked about getting the vaccine early and stuff, and. Um, the reason that I was asked to to come for an early jab is because I've got a history of epilepsy. I had grand mal seizures from the age of three to 13, and I will very occasionally still have them um, if I'm in particular circumstances. And the last time I had kind of a big one was um, about 20 years ago. And I had one of you know there's all sorts of different things that can happen to people who have epilepsy but uh some people have hallucinations i have hallucinations and i had this kind of vision of um firstly of all of these um hundreds and hundreds of photographs slowly coming towards me and one of them was of a, a mother holding a baby kind of like the virgin mary type image Um, And then I saw like this 3D golden Buddha's head kind of moving in a circle in like bottom left of my vision. Um, And then I felt this kind of tingling at the base of my spine, which moved like a hand up my back and through my hair and down in front of me. And it was like this arrow that was moving ahead of me. And it kind of went out the door as though to lead me out the door. And now this was before I'd seen Donnie Darko. So when I saw Donnie Darko, I was like, oh, okay, someone who has epilepsy has been involved in this film because it was so resonant (laughs) of of what it's like to um, have a seizure and like the the tone and atmosphere is the weird headspace that you have after you've had a seizure, if, if that makes sense. And the, the sort of bubble that goes out the door in Donnie Darko just looked exactly like the hallucination I had. And so one of the kind of uh, areas of interest of research with regards to epilepsy and seizures is the link to religious fervour. And a lot of kind of saints and stuff have been theorized that they had epilepsy because you know you can hear voices and see hallucinations some people think Joan of Arc had epilepsy Julius Caesar as well actually interestingly enough because we we brought him up but yeah this kind of is a bit of a epilepsy movie for me without you know making it too personal but yeah it, it really feels like that kind of part of Richard Kelly's brain has been electrified um that weird combination of religious vision but with this weird kind of science explanation around it i don't know if that i explained that very well like i said i did have an ejection yesterday so my brain's not working (laughs) perfectly um but yeah that's one of the reasons that i really love it and i don't really talk about my epilepsy very much and, and maybe i should because i'm sure there are people listening to this who who live with the condition and um you know, it, it, it's something that that can hold some people back or make them feel like they can't live a normal life, but uh, there is hope. 
anyway, I am rambling now, Dan. <laughs> talk. Do you have to take any? Do you take any medication for it? No. So I used to when I, I, between the ages of three and thirteen, I had to take horrible, horrible meds, like you know 80s epilepsy medication was not very nice and after i had the the kind of big seizure the hallucination one i was on again pretty horrendous medication after that and i had to be slowly weaned off it or i would have just had regular seizures again um so yeah the medication side of it it definitely isn't fun but I, i do credit it with um you know my creative drive i think probably there's a lot of theories around creativity and particularly writing. There's a thing called hypergraphia where um, people with epilepsy do write and create quite an inordinate amount of stuff. Um, so I do think it's it's been positive for me in many ways. And Prince had epilepsy uh, mm. when he was young as well. And he's someone to look up to. Well, not really. It's very short, well, but you know what yeah. I mean. If you're, a, yeah, <laughs> if he's on a stool. But literally, I don't know why I went off on one. Dan, let's let's bring it back to you. Um, what were some of your favourite extras on this disc? Because it, it, like you say, it is a really impressive lineup of stuff. Yeah, I'm. I really like the US Ident TV uh, making of because it's designed. It, it looks like the the sort of UI from the surveillance company. Mm. um in the in the movie and it's it's nice and in depth and it's not over long but everything in it's interesting the commentary is obviously really good i was slightly confused by this is the way the world ends the short film yeah uh, although i watched that between the two versions uh of the film and then i noticed that it is in the theatrical cut because i watched the can edit first right yeah yeah and I, and I would say I, I prefer the can edit, even though Kelly describes it as an unfinished film. I think it's better. I like the additional confusion, the extra plot lines. I love it. Um, I think it, I just think I the whole thing flows better, doesn't it? Like yeah, it, it yeah, feels yeah, yeah. in the in the you know the theatrical cut that it just stops dead at points, especially at the start. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The only the only thing I'd say about the I I I would quite like some of the additional start stuff from the theatrical release to be in the can cut because it is picking up a bit of slack from the stuff that Kelly wanted you to know from the mm. the graphic novels, which I think hadn't been released at that point. <laughs> but, and sadly aren't you know, on this so disc. Good luck. Um, no, I was really, yeah, he because um, it's an archival audio commentary yeah. and he's like, and these, they should be on this disc. And I was like, oh, wicked, I missed them. No, they're not on the disc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's thorough. I would have liked a commentary on the, on the can version. Oh God! That I would have, have nice. loved. I would have loved that. Yeah, and an I mean, even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't Kelly, but obviously, I would have rather it had it had it be Kelly. Um, yeah. But then, um, the it's a madcap world is really nice. It's a three part making of which covers the sort of pre production period, the shoot of the movie, like as in deep pre, like the writing origin, the production period, and then the sort of the can experience and showing it and putting it out into the world and and all the stuff that happened and why it was sort of like some of the things that led to why it was received the way it was yeah uh it's just an immense immense release it's again yeah. a criterion level release from arrow video obviously criterion released heaven's gate which is maybe a, a comp in a way but yeah this has given what many saw 
as just a, a terrible movie, whether they'd actually seen the film <laughs> or not. It's given it a new life and and it's well, released at exactly the right time in the culture, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is It is a very good film for now. Um, and actually, it doesn't feel very dated either. Like, it could easily be... Like, the trend nowadays with near-future sci-fi or alt-present sci-fi is to dismiss a lot of the tech that we've got now that just sort of gets in the way of modern mm. narrative. And so the fact that this, you know, is potentially a little bit dated in its, in its view of the future technology... Um, actually, like it doesn't get in the way at all. It feels like no. a choice rather than a, a crutch. Exactly. It's kind of, I think it's down to tone, isn't it? Because with Brazil as well, you don't really look at that and go, oh, well, that, that hasn't happened. Oh, <laughs> I need to go and watch Brazil again now. I fucking love that film so much. <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, I mean, it's not one of my recommendations, but it is a, a recommendation from both of us. It's yeah, just both of us, yeah. absolute perfect movie. But yeah, it's kind of, again, kind of interesting because Brazil bombed as well, didn't it? And and that suffered yeah. kind of a, a, a horrible well, cut. Well, and various and, variant edits, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, whenever there's one of these movies that kind of gets cut to shreds by a studio, there's normally some kind of weird, brave outsider element at the heart of the movie, like whether that's some kind of difficult subject matter or something political. Yeah, very, very good tonal comps between Southland Tales and Brazil, I'd say. Yeah, should we actually get on to recommendations, seeing as I've just accidentally started doing recommendations? Yeah, um, yeah. What, I mean, one thing got? I'll just very quickly say, uh, Kelly mentions that the phone number that The Rock is told to phone uh, in the film, uh, 3106916496, uh, is a number that they actually bought and they had a pre-recorded message on that line. And as of the recording of the archival audio commentary, that number was still active and you could phone it up and get a message that was uh, a little expansion on the world. Sadly, mm. that number is no longer active. Uh, I did phone it. Uh, <laughs> it's just Brilliant. an automated uh, reading of the number in Spanish and telling you to leave a message. So maybe, maybe if I'd left a message, I'd have got a call back with a with a, a bit of info for the film but i don't i don't think so but yes yeah, so i don't don't waste your money now i have gotten stuff wrong in the past i'm very willing to admit that i've made a mistake when i've made a mistake and boy howdy did i make a mistake in saying dan we're not going to do this one because you're going to hate it you know little did i know that you would one day be phoning up the number <laughs> Um, <laughs> so keen to find out more about this movie i'm so happy so happy well yeah i'm I mean, i'm tempted to have a look at the the graphic novels as well but but i think that it was you basically pitched it to me in saying that i wouldn't like it yeah and and i'm like well fuck it i'll give it a go worst case scenario we get to have a bitter row about a film you love yeah <laughs> But yeah, no, I just, I guess I thought the religious stuff would put you off, though obviously it's kind of a, a science fiction religion. So but this that's is, always but this interesting. Is the thing. But also, I don't, like, as long as a movie isn't overtly preaching to me, and actually sometimes I'm fine with that as well, but normally mm. because I'm laughing at it. Yes. But, but I, I have no problem with religious stuff in films because mm. it is part of the world. Like, mm. I don't believe any of it, but a lot of people do. And so it does shape people's behavior. You know, and you've got to remember, I'll I'll give any old shit a go. <laughs> I watched the I watched the that um, 
that documentary that the My Pillow guy did, Absolute Proof. Right, yeah. And like, um, you know, I'll I'll give anything a try. Yes. And and without wanting to make us fall out when we're getting on so well, I am drawn to stuff with some kind of religious element because I am interested in religion and supportive of people who who found something that kind of helps them get through stuff i personally am not religious myself but um i I don't kind of mind it in others uh and i think partly because you know i spent 10 years having my brain electrified and having various visions and (laughs) hearing weird stuff yeah i i do think that there's some part of the brain that is just innately religious and I think that part of your brain has been very much cut out willingly. Well, but, I think yeah. I think it's the it's the same the same thing that makes people religious is the same thing that makes people like lean towards conspiracy. And mm-hmm. it's the human the way the human brain interacts with the world is it needs to find patterns to make sense of things. Yes, one of the reasons we're such an advanced species is that we're fantastic at finding patterns, mm. and that's great for solving problems. But it's pretty terrible for <laughs> for making sense of the unexplained. Yeah. Um, and so that's why superstition and uh, conspiracy theories and religion all thrive within the human brain is because of how we interpret things we don't understand. Yeah, I, I, I and I, but, I do get. But I find the, all that, that fascinating. Yeah, no, me too. And and like I, I also really understand your perspective in that respect because you are one of the kind of biggest problem solvers I've ever met in my life. It's part of what makes you such a. Uh, makes you so good at your job is that you're able to uh, read between the lines and and fix things very quickly um, and it's how your brain's geared to work and I think you see religion as basically people stopping you know on the journey they've yeah, stopped it's when you stop on. asking questions they've stopped asking go, well, trying that, to solve yeah, that's fine yeah. it's pro- probably just a dung beetle rolling the sun across the sky I need to ask no more questions <laughs> uh, but isn't that cooler like I love I mean, it stories. Is, it's fucking awesome, <laughs> and that's the thing, and that's why I don't mind it in film. Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I, f- what I want from film is a story. Yeah. So I, you know, I like I have no more problem with a film about Christ than I do with a film about dragons, and I believe in those two things the same amount. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. you know? there, there were definitely dragons at some point. You're right. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's move on to recommendations based on the film. Dan, what have you got? Uh, so it's actually a film we've covered on the podcast, but it felt like such a, a perfect alignment. It's it's less like weird. Mm hmm. Uh, than Southland Tales, but I think that there are so many connections, and I enjoyed it in a, in a lot of the same ways. It's Steve DeJarnat's Miracle Mile oh, from, yeah. uh, from 1988. In Miracle Mile, a man has a piece of information that essentially is a prophecy, is a prediction of the future that lets him into things that the rest of the world doesn't know. It's an apocalyptic vision. Mm. Uh, it's about uh, a, a little bit of a race against time. It's not as broad or as sprawling uh, as Southland Tales, but it's uh, but yeah, I, I, as I said, I definitely enjoyed it in the same way. I need to give Miracle Mile another go because I just it just depressed the hell out of me. But I think maybe if I'm prepared for that um, the next time, I think I'll probably See, get a lot more out of it. I think it, it, that's such a weird thing. Like I don't find Miracle Mile depressing. Mm. I find like 
again, not wanting to spoil it, but the, the the last moments are kind of on their surface. Like if you describe them really vaguely, mm. it's it's a pretty down ending. But actually, it's quite hopeful. There's there's a, and again, it's hopeful because it's a little bit spiritual mumbo jumboy. But <laughs> but it's quite sweet in a lot of ways. The other thing to remember is that the first time I watched Miracle Mile, it was on the back of watching all of the nuclear holocaust movies from like right. the fifties through to Miracle Mile. Well, yeah. So I just watched them all in a row. So I'd, in the same weekend that I watched Miracle Mile. I'd watched uh, Threads, Countdown to Looking Glass, Testament, <laughs> well, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, all I'm, of these super depressing films. And so even if Miracle Mile is perhaps a little dour, it felt like a breath of fresh air at the end of that marathon. Yeah, I'm sure it was like the Shawshank Redemption after watching that lot. But for me, little old me just watching it on its own, it was a bit... But I'm going to give it another go because, um, yeah, I think you're right. There are a lot of parallels there. And there are some crazy parallels with my first recommendation based on the film Under the Silver Lake, which is there's just so much it has in common. So it it premiered at Cannes to very mixed reviews um, with a lot of people really hating it. Um, It's set in Los Angeles. It's the second movie from a director who made uh, a breakout cult horror movie. So David Robert Mitchell, who made It Follows. Um, And it's this huge, long, mad conspiracy theory piece that's doing way more under the hood or under the silver lake uh, or even under the silver screen uh, than first appears. And they've even got really similar shots of someone walking through a bookshop. So it's pretty crazy there, too. The film is ostensibly a play on the private eye genre, following a slacker named Sam as he investigates a missing woman. But it's also about pop culture, music, movies, and the voyeurism at the heart of all of those things. Uh, it's kind of a weird musical in the same way that Southland Tales is a weird musical. There's like this band and this song, this specific song that keeps popping up again and again. The music is incredible. Uh, Andrew Garfield has never been better. And yeah, like all the best movies, there's a whole other secret plot happening in the background that's there if you look for it. Um, Just after you've watched it, go away, go onto YouTube, look up all the videos about the dog killer. Um, And yeah, (laughs) it's, it's a completely different film the second time you watch it. Or if you spotted that stuff the first time you watched it, as I did. Um, not to blow my own horn. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Under the Silver Lake, I recommend it. Nice. I think I've recommended my second recommendation before, but again, it bears uh, a mention in connection with this movie. It's from 2017. It's called The Evil Within. Oh, yeah. It's uh, a very fucking weird film. <laughs> Andrew Getty, who was the kidnapped Getty child from the past, Muse fame, it was his passion project, and he actually died while it was in post-production, so it was finished uh, without him. It's available on Amazon for like a pound. There is a Blu-ray floating about as well. It it, it came under a lot of criticism uh, because it has an able-bodied actor playing someone uh, with mental disabilities, although the narrative kind of requires that because it's it plays around with the idea of locked-in uh, syndrome or a variant on locked-in syndrome. So he has to appear fully uh, fully abled in the, the the long and many sequences that happen inside his psyche. There's a really interesting uh, aesthetic choice 
to have all of the stuff uh, that happens in the real world feel sort of dead and flat and wooden uh, that is uh, ostensibly, or at least this is how I read it, a representation of his uh, inability to connect to people uh, in the real world on an emotional level. So any nuance or, or uh, sort of emotional signals that they might be giving out are stripped away from the performances because that's not how he interacts with the world. But he has this sort of nightmare world that he's dealing with on the inside, uh, which is at least in part populated by Michael Berryman, who's fantastic in it, like his best post-80s role, I think. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just an absolutely other film. And I, one of the main reasons I connect it to Southland Tales is I think that a lot of people will dismiss it um, because it's not what they're used to filmically. It's it's just a bit weird, uh, and they might mistake some of the the weird and bold choices as poor choices. Um, Getty did essentially film the entire thing in his house and spent his entire inheritance on it, but it's. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I think of it regularly, and it's a great film. Fantastic. And just to reel off a few of the films that Richard Kelly kind of name-checked as influences, uh, Kiss Me Deadly from 1955, yeah. Pulp Fiction. in the movie. Yeah, Pulp Fiction, uh, Doctor Strangelove as well, um, and obviously we've, we've talked a bit about Brazil, so all of those are supplemental recommendations. Um, but I'm going to go for Nashville, which is probably my favourite Robert Altman movie. It's another um, huge film that requires multiple viewings to fully take in, that's incredibly political, it explores religion, and it's very much tied to the location uh, that it's... Uh, set within nashville is definitely easier to follow than southland tales but it's still an overwhelming experience in the best possible way um there are 24 main characters there's around an hour of music performance on screen it's you know it's a it's a long film um it's basically an epic indie musical um and it's also considered one of the best films ever made it was nominated for five oscars and 11 golden globes which was record-breaking at the time um but unlike a lot of awardsy movies it's dark it's smart and it's just packed with a rebellious indie spirit um very influential as well if you like paul thomas anderson you will love nashville and actually, uh, without getting too techy and nerdy and boring, a lot of the sound design stuff, uh, particularly in the way conversations happen, uh, transform cinema as well. So if you are into kind of cinema history, then uh, it's worth a, a recommendation on that basis as well. So, yeah, uh, one of my favourite movies. I think it will be one of yours too. Nashville, I recommend it. Nice. Nice. That's it, isn't it? Nice. So, past couple of weeks, Dan, what have you been watching? Or what have you not been watching? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm uh, I'm prepping for a guest appearance on another podcast, uh, and I accepted it rather lightly, and then hadn't thought about how much work and, and homework was going to be involved. So uh, I I was like, ah, no, I can do this. I can do this without having to rewatch everything. And then I was like, no, I don't actually remember anything about these films. I need to completely go back and rewatch everything. Oh, no. So over the last few weeks. I've really almost exclusively been watching uh, Hong Kong Category 3 cinema. Wow. Which has melted my brain. <laughs> I was 
I kind of wanted to not recommend any of them because I there there's so many caveats that have to come with recommendations, uh, but we'll get into that uh, on the next one. The first one I'm going to recommend, and the title should tell you exactly how uh, heavily caveated this recommendation is, um, is a Chinese torture chamber story. Okay. Uh, from, <laughs> from from 1994. Now, so here's the first thing you need to know about Chinese torture chamber story. Number one, I had avoided watching it for many many years, and oh, all of the films God. that we're talking about for this on this podcast, uh, it's The Devil Times Five, by the way. It was one of the few of the like the big name, the the heavy hitters in the Cat Three scene that I'd avoided watching, and one of the reasons I'd avoided watching it is like so many old subgenres it's pretty they're pretty bogged down in some rather unpleasant sexual violence stuff uh and i and i just like looking at the poster and and like i, I was just like oh, i don't have fucking time for this i can't be i can't do it I, I i watched it i was pleasantly surprised by how little of that there is it's not completely devoid of it there's at least one attempted sexual assault in the film but it is compared to a lot of the that stuff it's 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 very light but the other thing that i was totally unready for is that it's a comedy (laughs) (laughs) it's not like i don't know if any of you have seen oxen split torture or shogun's joy of sadism they they haven't they might have they might have have, which has got some great stuff in it but is a a pretty unpleasant genre film from japan Mm. a bit before this but i'd expected that kind of thing but actually it's like it's pretty fucking wild in its like it's got some fun over the top pantomime gore you gotta remember that this is the subgenre that brought you story of ricky like you know and this is definitely more towards that end in its special effects great um the the story is very pantomimey uh even the sex stuff is 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 very silly like there's a subplot with these two sex gods who are having a waxier like a sex fight a waxier sex fight where they're like flying around while having sex the thing is and this is where i like i sort of undermine my own recommendation there are a lot of sex scenes in it and unless they're wacky like that one i find them very boring i have no interest in that in a film (laughs) yeah uh and so the, the story does grind to a halt a couple of times but that said they do kind of keep it interesting with both the fact that the main character is kind of an inventor and has all these like weird sex toys that he's invented which are like fucking absolute jokes it's hilarious and then i don't know you know if you follow me on twitter you may have seen me uh uh, or instagram you may have seen me putting up posts uh posts of some of the subtitles that i enjoyed such as he died from penile explosion so you can yeah you can look forward to that kind of stuff anyway so that's a very long ramble to justify recommending a film like uh, chinese torture chamber story yeah i'm i'm not gonna say anything about that subtitle or other films that it could be related to because that would obviously be a big spoiler but yes, I did see that and I did think of another film. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, great. Uh, sounds very interesting. And I think that all sex scenes should be described as uh, the plot grinding to a halt from now on. Um, because yeah. you're right. It's literally, we get it. We get what the message from this scene is. You could have said exactly the same thing by fading out and fading in on them waking up or whatever it, it just it's boring i agree but i tell you what's not boring my first recommendation based on the past couple of weeks 
Um, <laughs> though, you know, people's tastes may vary on this one. Um, but you know, Dan, that if I see a four-hour Tarkovsky-influenced film with Nick Cave on the soundtrack shot in 4-3, I'm always going to recommend it but especially when it's a movie that offers redemption for a divisive and controversial filmmaker, which is why I recommend that everybody watches Zack Snyder's Justice League. Even I had kind of assumed that this was coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've lost so many followers on Twitter by raving about Zack Snyder's Justice League, but... I originally watched it for Yahoo, so please do read the piece that I wrote over at Yahoo. Um, that will be linked on my Twitter somewhere, though you'll have to wade through quite a lot of shit to get to it. But yeah, that, that piece goes into all the ways this version is better for black people and for women. Wonder Woman is fucking amazing in this film. It's just a completely different movie for that character and for Cyborg as well. I just I, I love mythic movies. I love Greek myths. I love horror films i love comic books and the snyder films combine all of that stuff for me and there's also kind of a massive fantasy element as well because this one kind of makes the whole endeavor feel like uh the lord of the rings trilogy um it's it's quite bonkers i loved it so much it's a huge recommendation it will probably be my film of the year but just as a kind of warning i did also love man of steel and batman versus superman and i know pretty much everybody on the planet hates one or both of those films um but yeah this is i'd say in terms of like a general audience you can just watch justice league and ignore those two films and it is the the least controversial of, of all of those three it's the much more kind of straight up comic book movie but made by a madman having visions and um as a madman who's had visions in the past i I do enjoy that and anyone who complains about the aspect ratio uh read a comic look at the panels and then come back to me um also if it's good enough for kubrick (laughs) exactly zach snyder's (laughs) justice league it's good enough for Kubrick. I genuinely thought I thought you were going to say Zack Snyder's just as good as Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not my words, your words, Dan. I'm going to take that out of context. <laughs> um, whoever clips Put me on these, the poster. whoever clips these for Twitter, <laughs> that's that's the bit you need, right, Dan? What's next from you? And should I when, brace myself for this one? When it when it when uh, when Justice League was. Um, uh, when the when the the Snyder cut was sort of like it's out, yeah. people are starting to watch it now. Yeah. I said to Jen, "You know, I don't think I'm ever going to bother." And Jen looked at me for a second and said, "You know what? It hadn't even entered my mind that we might." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's fair enough. That really is fair enough. It's it's not it's not for you, but yeah, I me. do think I, it's I for some the, people the, listening to this. I saw the other edit. Yeah, that wasn't for me. No, I don't think that was for anyone. Um, it's just, and and that is that's the one reason I'd recommend it to you specifically, Dan, because what's really really remarkable about this whole thing is Zack Snyder's version is demonstrably better. It's not just me saying it; it's most of the internet. The reviews have been glowing. The reactions have been overwhelmingly positive, and the fact that a studio has laid their shame out for all to see Uh, and you can 
line these two movies up against each other and they're just so completely different and the shit one is the one that they said yep that's what we want that's what we're going to release i think it's remarkable was, remarkable but that, that they but it's like done this it's like southland tales you know yeah. like it's southland tales damaged the film to shave like 30 minutes off a three-hour runtime mm. And this is the same. Like, you know, the the movie was coming out in the theatres and they wanted to control it. And I'm sure there were other reasons, but mm. they were like, no, we'll, we'll go with the short one. Uh, now we're in the middle of a pandemic. The cinemas are shut. Everyone's desperate for content. It's a it's an absolutely obvious choice to let Snyder tootle about with it and, and do his long-ass version because you're not limited to X showings a day if you release a four-hour film on video on demand and actually that's a really good point because obviously you know you, you can fit less showings in the cinema so you make less money whereas with vod what's valuable there is time spent sat down watching per minute so you put a four-hour film that a lot of people are going to watch out of curiosity alone and the diehard fans are going to watch you know three or four times that is a recipe for success so hopefully it will lead to justice league 2 by good old Zack Snyder. Yeah, there we go. That's the end of my uh, rant and rave. Dan, I'm prepared for your next recommendation. What is it? Well, so uh, I finished all of the extras on Southland Tales with enough time to put another film on today. And I thought, well, let's just roll the dice and maybe <laughs> I'll get a film, uh, you know, from the, from, the, from the pile, from the things I was going to watch. Uh, and maybe I'll get a film I can recommend so I don't have to recommend another one of these weird fucking Chinese horror films. <laughs> <laughs> and so I put in Patrick Still Lives, uh, which I got from Severin on Blu-ray uh, recently. Oh, yeah. Uh, so obviously you're very familiar with Patrick. Yeah. Uh, you and I both very much enjoy that film. Mm-hmm. Patrick Still Lives is ostensibly uh, an Italian uh, illegal remake of Patrick. And actually it's pretty fun. Like there's a lot of mad old shit in it and it's everything you'd want from a, a like a 1980 italian rip-off horror genre picture except for the fact <laughs> that uh so i'd seen it before but i'd definitely not seen it uncut ah uh. and one of the things that's in it is uh have you ever seen giallo venezia i haven't no i can i can, I can imagine a, a small percentage of our audience intaking sharply when they realize what i'm referring to there's uh non-sexual violence but it's sort of spooky telekinetic violence perpetrated on a woman that is distasteful to say the least right um it is it is an absolute 11 out of 10 as far as the batshit violence goes like lots of rubber heads and rubber bodies and things being pulled apart but it has some pretty strong stuff in there so it's if you're a completist with the italian genre stuff it's it's a it's a must watch but it's yeah it 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 goes to places you wouldn't normally expect and if you do know anything about giallo venezia it's the same place would you recommend Same, same director right right would you recommend that people seek out the cut version well yeah i mean like the problem is that there i think there were probably some bits that I enjoyed in this version that weren't in the cut version. Like right. some of the, some of you know, it, it, soft spoilers ahead. Uh, it's about a telekinetic coma patient 
wreaking havoc on the inhabitants of a quote-unquote hospital. Uh, the twist is a little different to Patrick, uh, and the the cause of the guy being in a coma is laughable. The film starts with a father and son by the side of the road being like, oh, the car's, st- the car's broken down, flag someone down for help. A car goes past, instead of stopping to help them, someone in the car throws a bottle and it hits the person flagging them down for help in the face wow. uh, cut to an operation and them going we did everything we can he'll live but in a coma that he'll never wake up from <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that should give you an idea of the kind of film it is brilliant except it then also has the so yeah i'd say if you're if you're into that into that and you've got a strong stomach it's definitely worth a look but maybe be ready to turn the volume down if you've got new neighbours as I do and you don't want to treat them to what is ostensibly 45 minutes of women screaming oh dear yes and men and men screaming occasionally but mostly women because it's the 80s and Italy well um, if you want to give your neighbours a a complete break uh, then by all means pick up my next recommendation which isn't a silent film but it is a silent book because it's a book and all books are silent. Um, Unless you're still reading out loud. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good point. Um, but yeah, it is called Consider This. It's by Chuck Palahniuk. And um, I'm, I'm basically reading a lot more stuff than I'm watching at the moment. So Dan is going above and beyond to, you know, watch stuff specifically to recommend, whereas I'm just reading stuff to recommend. But there is a tenuous... Um, a film connection because obviously uh, Palinic wrote Fight Club, oh, Palinic, which yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's an incredible book. It's basically uh, Chuck's version of Stephen King's On Writing, which is uh, another astonishing book, which I highly recommend if you haven't read it. Um, but it's slightly more unique. On Writing is incredible. It's a wonderful book, but there's a lot of advice in there that you could get from a kind of high level English course um it's a lot of that kind of advice whereas consider this is more specific to Palahniuk's minimalist style and yeah there really is some truly great writing advice in there but it's also about his life as a touring writer and there's some profoundly beautiful stories uh some gross stories as well uh, funny stories it's really amazing and and the writing advice doesn't just come from chuck because his background was uh he started out as a journalist um before moving into fiction and his style is very journalistic anyway um and there's a, a lot on that in the book itself but he collects a lot of advice from great writers he kind of seeks them out to learn from them in a similar way that i try to do with filmmakers but yeah, lots of that advice is in the book as well. And kind of the the greatest one-liner pieces of advice are turned into tattoos, uh, illustrations that are scattered throughout the book. So, you know, if you want to brand yourself with this wisdom, you can. Um, but yeah, really loved it. Uh, and if you're interested in pursuing a, a life in fiction, um, if you're a, a precious arrowhead who who loves books as much as uh, you love film, then I really couldn't recommend it 
any higher. It truly is on the level of on writing. And everyone who's read that book knows how good that is. So, yeah, consider yeah, this. Yeah. I recommend it. Nice. There we go. Nice. Uh, extra features? Extra features. Extra features, extra features. Extra features. <laughs> no extra nothing, features. Nothing. Once nothing. again. Um, I will... Animated menus. I'll give a quick shout out to the Soho Horror Festival, though by the time you listen to this, it will be too late to take part in uh, the Soho Saturdays uh, that Mitch has been doing um, as part of that festival, though it will come back again. And I do very much recommend following um, at Soho Horror Fest on Twitter because it's a treasure trove. Every now and then, he does these seasons of uh, themed movies for free. Uh, and all you have to do is, is join the Facebook group. It is kind of a, a pay what you want. So you, you can pay if you can afford it. But if you can't, then Mitch doesn't care. He just wants to share these amazing films. And it's a mixture of kind of short films and, and full-length movies. And a little more flesh was in there this weekend, which is how I came to take part in it and enjoy it. And I was actually blown away by the standard of, of what Mitch had put together um, in terms of the shorts that he'd selected and the feature films, not including mine, obviously. I, I know I blow my own trumpet sometimes, but I'm not that bad. Um, but yeah, Soho Horror Fest. Follow them on Twitter uh, for more free movies in the future. Um, yeah. Dan, any nice. friends you want to talk about or events or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well i i just had um so south by southwest has just finished by the time this goes up but uh broadcast signal intrusion directed by jacob gentry played at that uh, festival and i actually got to direct some sequences that are within that film the intrusions the titular intrusions uh, are directed by myself and uh, I got to see that as part of the festival, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the only reason it's not in my recommendations is because there's zero way you can see it, and I'm trying to do less of that. <laughs> yeah, and um, we want to shout about it when it is available. Yeah, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go pocket. on about it. Yeah, when it when when it comes out, as it as it definitely will in the near future. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to divide people. It's got a very uh, ambiguous ending, which I know is not always everyone's favourite. But I, you know, you and I don't mind that. No. Uh, it's got a pretty fucking wacky score, which I really enjoyed. Oh, Took excellent. me a second or two to to get into it. I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> but actually, I really like it. Um, it's essentially a a, 90, a late nineteen eighties American gumshoe movie soundtrack. Oh wow! Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> excellent. Oh, I can't wait to see this film. And I'm um, so but yeah, it's yeah, fun. I'm so happy it's out there, and it's gotten really, really great res- responses and yeah i think evolution yeah. of horror did like a video review of it didn't they yeah they were very nice about it yeah like like i said it, it, it's always going to be a little divisive anything that that leaves the audience to draw their own conclusion to that level is always going to be a little divisive yeah. so if you want everything wrapped up neatly with a bow maybe it's not for you but but yeah i really enjoyed it excellent excellent all right well um should we do our own social media how can people follow you dan on twitter and on instagram i am at 13 finger fx and yeah at the moment it's uh a special effects stuff and subtitles i find amusing in extreme asian horror films <laughs> excellent and i am at sam ashurst on twitter i am gonna shut up about Zack snyder's justice league now i promise but i am going to start talking about my next film very soon 
and there will be a way for you to watch it in a month or so and yes details of that will be on my twitter obviously i haven't announced the title of the film yet that may happen on twitter that may even happen on this podcast but i would appreciate it if you followed me for the time being at the very least um and then once you've seen the film you can just unfollow me again i get it it's fine (laughs) um but yeah i do want as many people to see this one as possible um because yeah it it may or may not be a difficult one and i'm really interested to see how people react to it so yes there we go uh don't worry about instagram just just twitter for for this fortnight and speaking of fortnights next fortnight we will be doing dan's choice which is demons and demons 2 uh, which yes. one? Should we, should we just split it? Shall I do demons two and you do demons, or vice versa? How do you? Obviously do it? not, because then the conversation won't make any sense. We'll just talk about them as a franchise. Okay, we'll just talk okay. about both films. But I meant in terms of like taking response. We're doing some admin again, precious arrowhead. In terms of um, splitting like the extras and stuff, because it's quite a meaty disc. Do you want us to both watch just, everything? Just, just dip. Just yes. ah yes if this was my fortnight i wouldn't make you watch everything but fine i'll watch everything and i'll love doing it you know what like i don't i don't expect you to watch absolutely everything dip your toe in yeah soak up as much as you want i'm sure that there'll be some crossover but then also there'll be some unique insights from the two of us but it's fine we don't need to organize it that much but yeah definitely recommend you picking it up uh it's a pretty incredible box set and i think it's limited possibly the four, uh, the 4k was limited and is already completely sold out and the fortnight after that so demons and demons 2 will be episode number 99 and for episode 100 we will be doing brain damage which is sort of my choice i suggested it but spiritually it's a joint choice for reasons that we'll yeah. go into on the episode and there might be a little surprise on the episode as well um so yeah demons demons 2 brain damage please pick them up so you will be prepared for those episodes and yeah thank you so much for listening and thank we you. promise to be more professional next time i promise next time i promise not to be on vaccine drugs next time um i might be yay hopefully fingers crossed and um yep stay safe and see you next time (laughs) bye-bye bye-bye